0: Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. As we are inching closer to the week one matchup between the Giants and the Cowboys. Sunday 425 p.m. Eastern. Both coordinators spoke earlier today. So we'll review that. Give you some of our takeaways from their comments. We also heard from Saquon Barkley. Mm -hmm. And the Giants just started practice. So let's start there, Paul. Because... Mike Remmers was on the injury report yesterday with With illness, illness, correct? The encouraging news back out there today.
1: During the open portion of practice, which the media is allowed to watch, he was in full gear and doing everything. So it appears that whatever he had, whether it was a stomach flu or whatever the illness was, uh, it does not appear to have affected him today.
0: And Pat Shermer did not sound concerned at all, Paul, no. when he addressed the media earlier this week. So I don't think anybody was necessarily stunned that he's back out there. They felt fully confident that they would have the entire offensive line. So both coordinators spoke. I want to start on the defensive side of the ball, Paul, because you know that it's fair to say is the area of this team with perhaps the most question marks because you got a lot of new personnel and you have a lot of youth. And one of the questions that James Betcher was asked today is Where's the pressure going to come from? And I think it's a warranted question. And he said, I don't know right now if I can tell you who's going to be the leader in sacks, who's going to be doing the heavy lifting. He says he feels it's going to be more of, and we've used this term, I certainly have, the spread the wealth mentality. It's going to be a group effort. And he likes the challenge of that. He likes the fact that they're slowly going to define themselves as the season progresses as opposed to leaning on one guy up
1: front in particular. I understand that. I mean, if you look at the resumes of the guys he has on his roster, he can't go into the season thinking he's got a lock, stock, double-digit sack guy. I mean, we've talked about Marcus Golden for months now. Yeah? Did he do it once? Sure he did. Was that before major ACL surgery? Yes, it was. How else is he supposed to feel? He's, he's dreaming, to be honest, and I like James Betcher, but he's dreaming if he can absolutely right now go to the bank and say, oh, I got a 12-sack guy right now in, in the booth. You can't do it. You just can't do it. You know, it's going to have to be a wait-and-see kind of thing. It's going to have to unfold itself naturally. I still believe, as I've said on this program before, my target number for sacks, and I know there are so many factors involved. I've, I've always said it, though, that 42 is a really good team sack number. Certainly, less than 40 is not acceptable. Can you still win? Yes, the Patriots proved that, but they're always the outlier anyway. I mean what Dallas have last year 37 39 okay so just a they were tad right under, on the border just line. a tad under yeah but you know let's just say for argument's sake, you want to shave a couple off it and get down to 40 instead of 42. That's the number as a team you want to shoot for if you can get them. but uh, right now no I I, I don't have a double digit guy.
0: No, I'm with you. I will say this though Paul. And I know that that's a mark that you threw out as a target, not to say that the Giants are realistically going to get to that, but hypothetically, if they make the jump from 30 to 42, that's outstanding. And
1: James Bescher should take that and run to the bank tomorrow well, if he could get that. He's added Golden. He's added Ziminez, two, premier, linebacker, well, one legitimate prospect of a pass rusher in Ziminez, and one guy who is a question mark because of injury. I mean, Golden, there's no question when he's healthy, look what he did. But again, we he's just don't to know. Be we just don't know exactly what he is. So, But th- those are two bodies who he can expect to get something out of in the pass rush. And I think it's logical to expect that Lorenzo Carter is going to get more than four and a half. So, you know, he's got three guys there who should be able to give him something more than what they got last year. How much? I don't know. There's
0: upside. There's potential, as you just laid out. I'm with you about Lorenzo Carter. You hope he continues to progress. O'Shane Zimenez making the transition from a smaller college program to the NFL. Interestingly, James Betcher was asked about X-Man, and he said right now he loves the fact that he's playing fast. He's playing with a lot of speed. His exact phrase was playing with his hair on fire, essentially, but now the key is for him to be able to be well-disciplined as the season progresses, know his assignments, and try to take that energy and confine it so that he's in the right spot and consistently making plays. But he does love the energy and he loves the speed that he's seeing on the playing field right now.
1: He is a very athletic player who has a plethora of skills, Okay, which gives him a chance to have an impact as a rookie okay i'd rather have a rookie who needs to learn how to use his leverage and who needs to improve his power quotient than have a rookie who's big and strong but doesn't have a toolbox usually you get one or the other yeah okay he's got the toolbox i'd rather have the toolbox because the other stuff can come over time the toolbox is a lot harder to acquire I've seen a lot of guys who had the skill set. Okay, Avery Moss is a great example. Had the skill set, but didn't have the repertoire in the toolbox. Of course, he was hurt a lot, so that hurt his potential to, to refine those tools. Missed time on but the field. Pure talent does not necessarily win you ball games. It's it's about how you use what you've got, and Zimenez has a toolbox.
0: And now it's a matter of them grooming him and refining his skill set and his tools to use your parallel so that he can continue to make some plays and not just necessarily be a flash here or there during the course of his rookie season. Lance Metal, Paul DeTito, with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is presented by Coors Light. On the subject of defense, Ezekiel Elliott came up, no surprise, with James Batcher. Everybody's question is, well... How much of a workload do you anticipate to see from Zeke? How do you think the Cowboys are going to work him back in now that he's rejoined the team and he got his new contract? This is my personal opinion, Paul. They just gave him an extremely lucrative deal. I think that they're also looking at the fact that they're opening up the season with two divisional foes back-to-back, the Giants and then the Redskins the following week. I'd find it very hard to believe that the Cowboys are going to go into this game and barely use Ezekiel Elliott. Now, before you respond to that, I was doing some homework, and is there anything to take away from this stat? Maybe nothing, but I just want to bring it up as a form of contest. please the last running back that had a significant holdout who was a legitimate starter and missed the bulk of training camp missed the entire
1: season Le'Veon Bell
0: well (laughs) I wasn't gonna go that far I went a little bit further back that's a fair response was Maurice
1: Jones Drew
0: from the Jacksonville Jaguars interestingly and that was back in 2012 he missed 38 days so he pretty much missed all of training camp so I looked up what happened when he returned for the week one matchup against the Minnesota Vikings? He had signed his new deal, Paul, the Sunday before week one. So, a few days prior to Zeke getting his deal done.
1: Okay.
0: And he played 61% of the team's offensive snaps, 48 to be exact, 50 snaps overall. They used him twice on special teams. Rashad Jennings actually started the game, the former Giant running back, but then MJD got the bulk of the work. This was the final stat line for MJD. 2012 week one against the Vikings. 19 carries, 77 yards, 3 receptions, 18 yards. He got 5 targets. So he wound up with 24 touches in that game. And is that going to be the same game plan that the Cowboys are going to follow? No, I'm not bringing it up to say it's identical. But once again, MJD was Jacksonville's workhorse. Zeke is Dallas's workhorse. Zeke has not played in the preseason in previous years, so I don't think they miss much out of that. It's just a matter of there's a distinct difference between being in football shape versus being in game shape, and he's been working out, and it's not as if he's been sitting on the couch stuffing his mouth with a batch of Doritos here or there. Okay, but I know they no, have I Alfred been in Morris combo
1: just goofing off. I know what they, they have doing? Tony
0: Pollard. Well, I, I think there was a little bit more goof it off, but <laughs> I, I think that they're going to go into this game trying, in my opinion, to get Zeke, I think, in the ballpark of about 17 touches at minimum in this contest because I don't see them holding back knowing that this is an important game given the fact that it's a divisional foe right at the start of the season.
1: We haven't talked about this before the show, and it's funny you say that because I fully expect him to get 20 touches in the game. I and I'm fully pretty do. much
0: on the same page as you.
1: I fully do. And I think they may pull him out for a series or two. I can see that, too. And kind of spell his snaps. I asked Carl Banks earlier today, I said, Carl, I I think they'll probably ration his snaps throughout the game because I think they're going to want him to play some in the fourth quarter as opposed to just throwing him out, getting what they can, and then letting the gas tank run dry. I, I suspect they'll ration his snaps. That makes sense. So, so... Amazing as it sounds, we are uh, actually on the same page. Yeah,
0: 100%. But I also feel like the reason why they're confident that they could take Zeke out for a series, to your point, Paul, is Tony Pollard, their rookie from the fourth round out of Memphis, you know, got a lot of work in this offseason. He started some of their preseason games, so it's not as if they're going to throw somebody in who had a very small sample size. I mean, he got the bulk of the work because Zeke was not with the team. And they also have Alfred Morris, who's more than a reliable veteran, who, by the way, filled in for Zeke when he was suspended for six games in that 2017 season and was very productive with the Washington Redskins. He was a consistent 1,000-yard runner. So, you know, knowing that they have the personnel to back him up, I don't think it's a huge sacrifice if they hold him out for a series or two sprinkled in during the course of the game.
1: I just posted a tweet, which responds to yours, that I recall back in 1986, the Giants opened the season in Dallas against the Cowboys, and Joe Morris was holding out, missed all the training camp, and signed his contract in the Giants' locker room two hours before kickoff, after missing the entire training camp. Now, this is 1986, which, by the way, is a date that should bring a lot of good memories to Giants fans. I'd say so. That night, In the primetime game against the Cowboys, Joe Morris ran 20 times for 87 yards and a touchdown. Joe Morris was a workhorse back. Now, 20 carries, that's a few under what he would wind up doing on the average during the course of that season. But that falls in line with what you just said about Maurice Jones-Drew. And I expect that to fall in line for Ezekiel Elliott. I think he'll touch the ball 20 times. Um... How effective he'll be remains to be seen. Both Morris and, and Jones-Drew uh, were in the 75 to 80-yard range. So they did well. Yeah. That's a good game for those guys. That's an average good game for a quality running back. I don't expect Elliott to run for 130 yards on 20 carries. I think he's going to be somewhat in the vicinity of 20 touches, maybe a few catches in there, but about 20 touches, probably for something like 70 yards.
0: Here's the other thing that shouldn't be overlooked. Zeke is by far their best pass protector of the running back group. Do they really want to, Paul, put Tony Pollard, a rookie out there, in a number of passing down situations? That's another reason why I don't see them holding Zeke back. We talk so much about the versatility of a running back when it comes to serving as a solid runner on the outside or the inside, also being a receiving threat at the backfield. And very rarely do people emphasize the need to have a reliable option for your quarterback, Paul, on third down, whether it be a passing down, whether it be a running down, just to know that you trust the guy that is the insurance policy in case there's a breakdown with the offensive line. And it doesn't even have to be a breakdown. The running back usually is responsible to pick somebody up whether it be a blitz or just an average pickup. And Zeke is by far the most recognizable guy in that department and also the most reliable guy in that department. And that's another reason why I don't think the Cowboys feel too comfortable throwing Tony Pollard into the fire so quickly to that degree.
1: I will throw one thing into this conversation and folks, if you're going to watch the game and I'm sure you will on Sunday afternoon, this is my last show. Cause I'm, I'm not on tomorrow. It's Fiegels and uh, John and John Schmelk tomorrow. Yep. Uh, I will probably allude to this during the pregame show when we do that on radio, and I'll be in Dallas, and and you'll be where?
0: We will be at local NYC right across the street from
1: Madison Square Garden. Okay. Don't forget to see uh, Lance and Jeff Fiegels doing the live pregame show from that restaurant uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, By the way,
0: before you go on, I was told the uh, stool bars are uh, tall enough for me. Uh, Don't think I didn't see your comment yesterday on social media, (laughs) but go ahead and continue. I
1: I put it well, out I just there for wanted all to, to re- see. but I
0: wanted to respond. Well, everybody like who we watches this show knows that we pick on your your well, short stature. Well, I'm not crying. I'm okay. I'm a big You're good boy. With it. Okay, I know you can my, handle
1: listen, it. Listen, the huggies they change them. You you, know, every you, hour. you get Don't on worry. your stool and then put forth a good yeah. defense.
0: Well, that's why I wanted you to know. I checked with them. That was the first thing when we negotiated the location. But anyway, this is good go news. Ahead. Yes, I thought you'd be very excited. Do
1: they serve tall glasses? Yeah. Well,
0: big enough for me to handle. I could assure you. Okay.
1: Uh, Here is one thing I do want to throw into the conversation, and I will bring it up on our program. Remind me to do so if I don't. Ezekiel Elliott uh, has had 12 fumbles in his three-year career. He had six last season, as a matter of fact. Um, So that does become an issue. As Carl Banks said to me, the one thing about defensive players, if they know that your back has not had a lot of contact or taken out a lot of hits during camp, What that basically means is when he starts getting pounded, it is going to smart a little bit more. It is going to hurt a little bit more. And when you're ripping at the ball or hitting that guy two and three times on a tackle and he winces a little bit, he loses a little bit of grip. So what, what you really want to watch for, and the Giants need to be sharks on defense for this, is to see if they can get him to put the ball on the ground. That may be the biggest impact that we find with Ezekiel Elliott on Sunday. Let's say he runs 20 times for even 80 yards. Does he fumble twice? Does he fumble even once? Well, you want to at least test
0: him in that department. Yeah, I agree with you. So watch
1: for that. Yeah. Well,
0: because he hasn't been putting the work in with the pads on and taking the hits on a daily basis in practice. He's been working out. I don't question that he's not going to be in good condition, but there's a distinct difference between working out and going through the formations as opposed to going through the formations with pads on, Paul, yeah. and guys hitting you on a daily basis in practice and you getting used to ball security preparation for week one. So I think that's a very fair point.
1: Now, you flip it to the other side, and then Saquon Barkley, who has practiced and taken some contact with the Giants over the course of training camp, okay, also has proven by the fact that he did not fumble once last season, that he does not have any issues with ball security. So I would not think that's as much of a potential issue for him as it is for Ezekiel Elliott, who again has shown a propensity to put the ball on the ground.
0: Yeah, there was actually a fumble, if I recall for Zeke early last season when they went to Seattle, the team that they ultimately beat in the first round of the playoffs where they were driving trying to get back into the game and he coughed the football up. So I mean that has been documented at times and whenever a guy missed a lot of practice time, it's certainly a concern and I'm sure it's something that the Cowboys are gonna emphasize, but something that James Betcher, I'm sure, is telling his team Paul, I would hope so hey, go after the football early, test him out, see whether or not, you know, that's not gonna necessarily get to him because of the missed practice time.
1: I mean, look, we all understand that both defenses are probably going to be behind the eight ball in this game. That's the way it usually works out. When the Giants play Dallas in the opener, there are usually a lot of points scored because the offenses seem to have more success than the defense. The defense is trying to catch up. Part of the reason is because of shoddy tackling, because they don't tackle much during training camp or during the preseason. So we know that the offenses will have the edge on both sides of the ball in this game. What's one of the best ways you can stop an offense? Turn it over. Get get the takeaway. Take that ball away from them. Cause them to turn it over. Cough it up. That's one of the best ways you can play defense in this game.
0: Uh, it's also one of the biggest indicators of wins and losses when sure. it comes to the NFL turnover differential. And you know, The Giants and the Cowboys actually last season were both similar. Giants plus two and the Cowboys were plus three. So it was 12th and 13th where they were ranking last season, right in the middle of the pack. And even the takeaways and turnovers are almost identical. Giants 21 takeaways, Cowboys 20. And the Giants had 19 turnovers. The Cowboys had 17. That's why the Cowboys had a one higher percentage point up on the uh, turnover differential front. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter, all presented by Coors Light. Ben is in Virginia. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff
2: Live. What's happening, Ben? Good afternoon, guys. How are you guys doing today? Hi. Doing very well. What do you got for us? Good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Hey, just I, I don't get a chance to call on a whole lot, so I got a, got a few old things on my mind. Hopefully, you you bear with me a little bit, uh, and of course, I got a, a bold prediction. But uh, you know, first off, I know everybody's talking about the the sack numbers and and the lack of a proven uh, uh, pass rusher and that kind of thing. You know, I think the way to negate that or the way to overcome that is if you're good on defense in another area, specifically stopping the run. The team hasn't stopped the run well in quite some time. And when I say stopped the run, I don't mean, you know, that uh, 80 yards a game stopped the run. I'm talking about 3.4 yards per carry stopped the run, that 3.3 3 yards per carry stopped the run. They got to be somewhere in that 3.3, 3.7 3. yards a carry against. That's what I'm talking about in stopping the run. And the other thing is taking the ball away. You know, I know, Lance, you always say that you can't depend on uh, takeaways, but you know, when the opportunity presents itself, you got to get it. You know, I, I go back to um, the first preseason game against the Jets. You know, when uh, um, Peppers, Jabril Peppers, gets hit in the hand with the ball, you got to catch the ball. You, know, you catch that and the Jets don't score. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. the opportunity presents itself to get these turnovers, you have to get them. Ball's on the ground, you you got to get it.
1: You look when, when you consider how much
2: for lack of pass rush. Yeah, it w- really will.
1: When you consider how much parity or mediocrity, if you will, is a prevalent in the National Football League today, and you don't have to go any further than when you look at the stats about how many games are decided by one score or less. It makes all the sense in the world to indicate that you need to take advantage of your takeaway opportunities. That one takeaway. In many instances, it's going to be the difference between that one score that made you win or lose the game.
0: Well, and it changes field position, too. As far as the run defense is concerned, I'm with you, Ben. I think that's certainly an area that the Giants need to improve upon. Last year, 20th in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game, and also run defense is synonymous with third-down defense, and they were 26th in the NFL. Opponents converted 42% of the time. Well, why did they do that? Because if they're running the ball effectively on first and second down, they're not facing unmanageable third downs and they're converting more often than not. So the run defense has to be certainly the heart and soul of this defense, whether the pass rush is great or not. But I would also throw out, you could get away with not having a lot of sacks if your secondary is very stingy. And that means that this young group is going to be put to the test very early this season, especially when you think about who Dallas is going to throw out in their receiving core. Well, as
2: a Cooper been practicing, uh, yeah, Cooper's Co- foot bang Cooper on, Cooper returned I, I to practice this, this week. He did not practice.
0: Yeah, Cooper's been practicing with the team this week. He's over that foot injury. And who was the other guy got, you threw out? No, no,
1: no.
2: It was, it was just Cooper.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah. I Cooper it, Cooper's down, been back in the mix. A bit, so. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I do want to piggyback off your point and to Carlo's point about the Giants stopping the run. Last year, opponents averaged less than four point three yards a carry against the Giants, which was good enough for the 11th best rushing defense in the league. So while the total rushing yards per game was higher than you want it to be, and that, because in a lot of reasons, was uh, in the fourth quarter, they weren't holding the ball, they were allowing teams to take leads, they were allowing teams to milk leads, and then, of course, we also know about the problems they had holding leads. But yards per carry, the Giants were 11th best defense in the league. So, you know, teams were able to control the clock, control the tempo, and they were able to get off a lot more plays, rushing and passing. And so those total yardage numbers are a little bit deceiving because in yards per play, the Giants' defense actually was a little bit better than what people were led to believe. Again, they weren't very good. They weren't very good, but they weren't as dreg, as much like dreg as people wanted them to see, especially against the run.
2: What, what I will say, this Paul, just going back to a specific game, that second game against the Eagles,
1: mm-hmm. I
2: think the Giants has I think tied the score, if I remember correctly. Yep. With six minutes left, and the Eagles just ran the ball, and they killed them. And they killed, the them. And they killed six them. Minutes left to go, yep. the game. You, 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 I mean, you know, that 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 says it all. Oh no! You know hey, I mean? hey, look, <laughs>
1: they they were short on bodies on defense last year, and they have tried the to ball. add a bunch of them to, to, to help out the situation, and I think they have.
2: Yeah. Hey, real quick before I let you guys go, let me give you my bold predictions. Really not that bold, but uh, you know we'll, we'll call it bold anyway. Number one, Giants are going to win this game on Sunday. I, I, I don't care if Zeke, uh, uh, if Elliott showed up or not, doesn't matter to me. It could be Sam Elliott, Missy Elliott, doesn't matter. Giants are winning this game on Sunday, and the Giants are going to start the season four and zero. Whether four and zero equates to a sixteen and zero season or four and twelve season, I don't know. They will start four and zero this season.
0: All right, Ben. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for was weighing in. Was that his in. bold prediction? That was his bold prediction.
1: Yeah. 4-0 and o start. 4-0 start. But he wasn't going to go further and give us well, his in season terms prediction.
0: Of, you know, you could see a team get off to a hot start and then things unravel. We also seen a team like the Colts last year. Yeah, but he, one could, and he five. said they could
1: go 4-12. and 12. He said they're going to go 4-0, and o, but they could go 4-12. and 12.
0: Well, he made his bold prediction for the first I, quarter I, of the season. How about I that? Think, How about I we phrase it that If one? they
1: go 4-0 and o and then go 4-12... and 12, and finish up with that record, that's an even bolder prediction to assume that they'll lose 12 straight. Well, you can interpret
0: it in as many different <laughs> ways as you want here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. I will say this. They are going to be tested by some really good defenses in the first quarter of the season. Nobody's saying that these are the four best teams in the NFL, but I think the common trait is that all of them, for the most part, have really strong defenses. Dallas
1: has a lot of defensive talent. Buffalo, Tampa Bay Bay. Has defensive talent. Buffalo's not bad. Buffalo, I think, is overlooked and, by and, many. And Washington has some parts. I'm not sure how unified they are. Well, that
0: front seven, though. I, but I they got parts. My, my focus is more on the front seven. I'm not focusing so much on the secondary. I think that the front sevens that they're going to have to tackle in the early stages of the season, pretty strong uh, on paper. And uh, time will tell whether or not that holds up to potential based on how the early games play out. But uh, it's going to be a good test for the Giants' offense in the uh, first quarter of the season. Let's head back to the phone lines. Let's go to Scott, who's in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening?
3: Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right, Scott. I had a question in regards to your conversation about uh, sacks and so forth. Is it more important, more important to have sacks or pressures? Uh, because if they can get uh, some sort of push up the middle, even though uh, Prescott is as uh, is a mobile quarterback, I know I don't know if they keep a statistic for pressures, but if they
1: did, yeah, the coaches do.
3: I, I, I'd venture to guess that the teams that have the most pressures are probably towards the top defenses, as opposed to sacks. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Well, but I would think.
1: Here's the problem. Sorry, sorry. Here's here's the problem, Scott. No, no, I I I've interrupted you, but I think it's important to understand that pressures and sacks combined. When you get that combined number, now you're talking about a significant impact. Because here's the problem. Okay. Okay. Yes, pressures are great, and they can force the uh, the the destruction of a play. They can certainly force an errant throw that could be intercepted. We understand right. that. Okay, that's wonderful. But what sacks can do, not only does it force loss of yardage and forces an offense into a horrific second or third and long situation, which also sets you up in a real good spot, but also sacks many times are turnovers themselves because they're strip sacks or they're forced fumbles and gives you the ball an even better field position than what an interception would 30 yards down the field. So I don't disagree with those who say, hey, sacks are better. Than pressures or hurries. I totally understand. Sacks are better than pressures or hurries. But I do believe they're kind of like one and one A because I think that there's a lot to be said for hurries and pressures as well. And too many people undervalue them or flat out ignore them. And I don't think they should. But I must say, I do believe sacks are still more valuable.
0: Well, I think with hurries and pressures, it depends on the quarterback you're playing. If you're not playing a mobile quarterback or somebody that does a good job extending plays, then, hey, hurries and pressures really can throw off that offense. If you're getting a guy through pressure to run out of the pocket, he's very effective running out of the pocket and extending a play, like a Kyler Murray, for example. It really depends on the results. I will say this. A sack, by definition, Scott, means you're ending a play. So wouldn't I want the ability to say, we're getting home, we're finishing the play, and we're preventing the opposition from having a productive play? So, I mean, to me, if you asked me what I'd want to see more of, I'd automatically want to see more sacks, but I agree with Paul that if you are consistently getting pressures and hurries, you also could be throwing a wrench into the opposition, depending on, once again, the style of the quarterback that's running that offense. The
1: other small factor to consider is that pressures and hurries don't automatically lead to quarterback hits. Of course. Sacks, by definition, are quarterback right. hits. Yeah. And we all know that the more you hit a quarterback, the better chance there is, doesn't automatically mean this, but the better chance there is of you throwing him off his game.
0: Yeah, because a pressure and a hurry doesn't necessarily indicate a negative outcome. A sack right, well, indicates the, a the negative. I value. was
3: asking the question is the the role of the line with Dexter Lawrence and, say, BJ Hill and RJ McIntosh? If they can create some energy coming up, I, I hope the middle, uh, then it takes away the options of the offense. And that's why I was wondering how big a role those guys are going to play, actually, and whether they win the game on Sunday or not. You know where they play a it. role? Yeah. You, you don't go, it, don't okay. go anywhere, okay.
1: Scott, because I want to explain something to you. You know sure. where you're right? And this is why they were really high on Dexter Lawrence, because of his ability to push the front of the pocket. Okay, make no mistake about it. Even though he may be playing on the edge of the three down linemen, he probably won't be on the edge of the front, because there'll probably be a stand-up linebacker next to him anyway. Okay? Right. But here's what here's what, what your question uh, brings to mind. They're really looking forward to Lawrence pressing the front of the pocket. That's critical for two reasons. Because the last thing in the world you want is for someone to get around the edge to the pocket and then have that quarterback either step up and deliver a completed pass or, for that matter, step up, see a lane, and run for a first down on a third and long opportunity. The hope is that if you get that pressure in the front of the pocket, those two possibilities are eliminated for the offense you will severely limit their capability of pulling off a successful play by taking those two options away if you can crowd the front of the pocket. That's what Dexter Lawrence can add to this team.
0: Especially against a guy like Dak, who has the ability to find those lanes. No question. But but the pressure up the gut...
3: Because he's so mobile, can they keep him in sort of a, you know, a, a zone where that's the, the linebackers hope. then can help oh, out. Oh, of course, that's yeah, that's was, the goal. That's my basic question That's was. what you want
1: to do,
0: Scott. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to contain Dak Prescott yeah. so he doesn't have the opportunity to run wild. And appreciate the phone call, Scott. Thanks so much it. for Thank weighing you, yeah. in. You got it. But I think to answer his question... Dexter Lawrence providing the pressure up the gut is half the battle. Then it's up to the edge guys, Paul, to then complete the deal. Because you could have the pressure up the gut, and then if the guys with containment off the edge don't fulfill their responsibilities, then Dak's just going to roam out of the pocket and he's going to survey the field.
1: No doubt, no doubt. But in the last several years, or certainly in this down period of Giants football, their bigger problem has been the front of the pocket. They have given up either huge rushing lanes, where guys have run or guys have been able to step up. And even though there's a pocket collapsing around them, guy will step up and boom, first down. That's been a bigger problem for this team in recent years.
0: Absolutely. Let's head back to the phone lines. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, welcome to the program. What do you got for us?
4: Paul and Lance, great to talk to you guys.
1: Hi, you too now. Appreciate the call, Dave. Um, What's happening?
4: Hey, I just want to talk, you know, there's been a lot of talk which I think is justified about the upgrade that Zeitler brings to the right side of that line Remmers as well, but definitely Zeitler. Sure. In terms of just the quality he brings, I think what's kind of lost is as far as looking at the whole team is a similar upgrade um, with Anton Bethea as Antoine Bethea as this free safety and or in his safety role. I, I, you know, I had a chance to go back with the NFL game pass, which is awesome. Isn't it? and, and look at some of the, you know, all twenty-two tape from last year. And and again, I, you know, I I hate ripping somebody, but but Curtis Riley just he he had a really rough year. I, I mean, I think that's to say it as nicely as I can.
1: Okay, um, and, and I, no one's going to disagree re- with you.
4: I don't think you can, Paul. I, and and so I really think that having that that center fielder and and very similar to conversations we've had before when you think about the impact of improving your offensive line improving your center fielder from a safety perspective really has a a a downward effect on the whole rest of the defense and what it can do when you have when you have that confidence that 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 center fielder is going to be where he needs to be
0: Yeah, well, because that player is pretty much the last line of defense, especially on big plays or if a running back gets past the initial phase of the defense. And Antoine Bethea led the Cardinals in tackles last season, and he's been up there in that department for a number of years, even going back to his Niners days. So I think you upgraded there because of all the veteran presence that he brings with him. You brought up Curtis Riley, Dave. Remember, Riley was making the conversion from cornerback to safety, and that's not to excuse his production last season, but... You know, they were asking a player who is primarily a cornerback to now move to a full-time safety, and that's ultimately why they turned to Sean Chandler late in the season. Now, this year, they're bringing in Antoine Bethea. Well, this guy's not converting to a new position. I mean, he's been playing safety his entire career, and he also has been playing both safety positions. He's moved back and forth throughout Mm -hmm. his career. So the wealth of experience that is coming into this season compared to last year with Curtis Riley, to me, is night and day.
4: And, and I, I guess I would like to – Paul, you, you've made this comment, and I, I don't disagree with you, but I did want to just ask you to, to discuss it a little bit further, and that is kind of the the youth of the secondary um, because, you know, I, I mean, I don't know who's going to – you know, there's one thing to be on the 53. There's going to be another thing in terms of when you're on the 47, mm-hmm. and so I, I look at it and say – you know, they should have Bethaya back there. Uh, you know, I, I would assume that Jack Rabbit, Peppers, Bethea, maybe even Grant Haley, and I get you that he's a second year player, but you know what? That's that's I'm sorry, but you, that that's enough. You're you're you played a whole you know, at least a half a season in the league. Um, so I get the fact that Baker, you know, would, would be young there and, and on the other side. But I I don't see I, I don't see the youth as being as much of a detriment that I've heard other people talk about.
1: Well, here's the problem. You know, you're listing the starters. Uh, there's a good chance that the Giants will be in dime package for a bunch of this game because Dallas is going to spread the field out. Make no mistake about it. They'll use a lot of one back with Elliott. Absolutely. And and they will use a lot of flex with their tight ends, especially now that Witten has come out of retirement. Yep. So you know the Giants will probably be in a ton of sub packages and we'll see a lot of dime, which does mean that Julian Love or Corey Ballantyne uh, will see a lot of snaps in this game. So figure Baker's a rookie, Valentine and Love are rookies. One of those guys, you know, one of those latter two guys is going to see a lot of snaps. So that means you're going to see a lot of snaps from at least two rookies in this game in the Giants secondary. And Haley who over the second half of last season, as you alluded to, played well and did quickly pick up his game, he's still a young guy now. You know, he hasn't played a, quote, full season. He played <laughs> half a season, really, to be honest. He made yep. cameos earlier in the year. Yeah. So, to me, that's still, what, two and a half out of a potential six defensive backs who could see a lot of snaps in this game who have a half a season or less of playing experience in the NFL.
0: Well, and then I'll take it a step farther, Paul. That then, is a concern for me. Well, and also Jabril Peppers. He's a veteran, but he's new to the system. Uh, Antoine Bethea. Well, so is Gen- Antoine Bethea no, 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 too. But he's new not to the really system new, too, though, because he played with Betcher before. So I don't look at him as that brand new. Him and okay. Jenkins. Okay. Him and Jenkins. If you were to ask me, probably have the most comfort and experience in this system. That makes sense. Everybody else, regardless of experience in the league, I think is relatively new. So if you're Dallas, also, you know, just in terms of
1: game play, oh, you're looking for those. Well, you're course. looking for those guys. I mean,
0: you're going to tell me you're not going to try to match up Randall Cobb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup with some of these young corners and see what they could do early Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? I mean, any coach would want to try to I, see look, that.
1: I will add this to you. I talked to Julian Love earlier today, and I specifically asked him about the inexperience question, and I said, listen, is your biggest challenge going to be early in the game if Dallas gets you to bite on something and you make a rookie mistake is your biggest challenge going to be able to forget about it right away and move on to the next play because if you if you get all upset and you get thrown off your game by making an early rookie mistake you know they're going to pick on you they're going to go back at you again and again and again until you fix it and he's like oh he goes absolutely he goes you you got to forget about it right away you got to move memory. on got to have a short memory because he knows he already told me he said I know they're coming for me as soon as I get on the field i know they're looking at me
4: I, I I agree with you paul. i I still think that um I, I, you know I, you bring up you bring up great points and 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 it, I think those are are all fair i i I really like going into this game just in terms of the matchups that we have. I think it's gonna be a great test for this team right out of the gate. I think this is the the most balanced team offensively and defensively that we're gonna see for a while um in terms of what our schedule looks like mm-hmm. and so i think to come come right out of the gate with that type of team i'm not i you know this is a uh put up or shut up league so you know there's no there's no uh you know there's nothing gained by losing a close game i want i want to go in and win
1: make a statement but, my uh, friend make a statement in week one
4: and i and i think they have the chance to do that so i i again i think one of the things that gets lost i'll leave you both guys with this and that is that is barkley i i just think that he was so productive in year one, and you know he's, um, you know, when you listen to him, there was an interview with him during the season where he was, where they were asking what he's focused on, and he almost stopped because he almost didn't want to give away too much, which I was actually happy that he did. But he was talking about just his ability to be comfortable in the offense and read the defense, mainly saying, "Hey, not everybody on a running play is blocked, and there's a guy or two that are my responsibility." Sure. And That's I'm, true. I'm very focused on that. So I look at it and say, you know, let's go see what he looks like in a year two system with a, with a step up. Um, I, I just don't know that, 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 we've, that we as Giant fans um, have seen that type of impact with a player of his skill. So thank you guys. Have a great uh, – I appreciate all the work you guys do, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hi
1: right, Dave. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for the call. You know, let me say this about Barkley. He's right. There are a lot of running plays that are designed, get a hat on a hat, and there's going to be one free defender against your running back. And it's his job to make that guy miss and turn the play into a successful game. He's absolutely right about that. Now, this year, what the Giants are hoping is that the improved offensive line does a better job of getting a hat on a hat. And there are more such plays where Barkley is one-on-one against the defender because they'll put their chips on him every single time. Of course,
0: yeah, because of his versatility and his skill set. I think also it falls on him to find that favorable matchup too within the blocking scheme, you know, and running in the direction that it places him in a spot that he could get to the one-on-one. See, that's
1: the part about holding him out during the preseason that gets a little risky because his chemistry with the O-line and being able to decipher exactly what's happening on a play and how they're blocking and how efficient they're going to be and how confident he's going to be that that hole he's supposed to get to is going to be there when he gets to it. That's something that there is is an osmosis there between an offensive lineman and the running back. The Giants haven't had a chance to do that because Barkley did not play at all during the preseason. And the Giants' starting offensive line themselves, which has been revamped, only played like 50-something snaps over the first three preseason games, and then they did not play against the Patriots. So understand something. I don't necessarily think the line is going to come out gangbusters in run blocking against the Cowboys. I think they are going to have some rough spots in the ground attack. What I do think they will do very well in is the pass protection. I think they are going to be stellar in pass protection. I think Eli Manning's going to throw for over 350 yards in this game.
0: Well, that would mean good things then for the Giants' offense if that's the case. And they will be tested against Demarcus Lawrence and Tyrone Crawford, who are the two edge guys for the Dallas Cowboys this upcoming week. 201-939-4513, the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. Don is in Texas. Don, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for hey, us? Hey,
5: Lance. Hey, Lance. Hey, Dot. Hi. You're right, Don. P-Dot, P-Dot, you're looking sharp. Keep it up, man.
1: (laughs) We have the First and Ten MSG show, which, by the way, our premiere show airs tomorrow night on Friday, 7 o'clock Eastern time on MSG, Giants First and Ten. We hope you tune in.
5: Awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I definitely will tune in. Thank you. Guys, I don't know about you. I'm super pumped. Football is finally here. No more talk. Let's get it going. I can't tell you how painful it is to live in this Dallas area wearing my colors proudly. I'm like, Lance, I welcome the chippiness, whoever wants to bring it. I just got into one now just getting gas in my car. It was pretty hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> I told the guy, the guy starts chirping at me. I'm wearing a Barkley jersey, and I go, hey, listen, Days of Our Lives is on in a little while. I don't know who's more dramatic, your team or that show. So i keep <laughs> getting it going.
1: <laughs> Man, the guy's on a roll. Yeah, that's a good comeback, yeah.
5: Oh, it's crazy! You got a tip anyway, jar out for us. We'll I be get glad into to contribute. <laughs> the, the special teams, which I believe is a big key to this game. I'm going to get into a generalization because the Cowboys team. Let's let's just get it out there. They're a better team, right? So, in general, in general, if a team is physical, you beat them by being faster. If a team is fast, you beat them by being physical. What was the point of that? Well, the Cowboys have that. They're a fast defense and they're a physical offense the Rams in the playoff game against them last year literally put the blueprint out how to beat them. Hurry up. Physical speed running, power running, mm-hmm. physical, hurry up. And what they're exposed to, and it kind of made me laugh, and I'm surprised nobody picked up on this, last year in that playoff game, the Rams were killing Jalen Smith with the wheel route. In their preseason game, as just to see if they learned their lesson, they ran the wheel route again and got him again. That's going to be a key play to try to get Barkley out on that wheel route to get them going. I would the not obvious,
1: disagree with you one bit.
5: And, and the obvious, of course, we've got to stop their run. But you, gotta, you, you cannot let that physical offense dictate the, the game because they can. If once they mm-hmm. start running and pounding, they're going to wear us down. We're never going to see the field on offense. That's their game. Whether they have a new offensive coordinator or not, which leads me to my next point, special teams is so important Huge. in this game. Huge. Since, since Dak Prescott took over – For the Cowboys I'm not even talking about the Romo era but this reminds me of the 90s Cowboys Giants against current Giants Cowboys now that the field position of the physicality between those teams how it's crazy how in the last minutes of the game the field position dictated what happened at the end of the game all I want is a chance to win the game that's all I could ask for just give us a chance to win this game and Dave from Cranford hit it right out of the park Barkley's got to come out huge Your take, gentlemen.
1: Well, let me just say this. I talked to Michael Thomas, the Giants Pro Bowl special teamer, this morning about that very point how field position is going to be just absolutely imperative in this game. And he he said, you're right, because many people are underestimating the value of special teams, especially in this game when everyone's talking about the quarterbacks, they're talking about the running backs, they're talking about the Dallas defense, blah, 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 blah. Hardly anybody is saying a word about special teams. And and Thomas is very much aware that field position is critical. And and it's not just critical uh, in, in terms of you know, tilt in the field. It's also critical in terms of the emotion of the game, because what happens in Dallas and Lance, you, you have you been to Dallas for a game? No, I have, you have not. not. Yeah, it is quite a spectacle. I mean, Jerry, Jerry's Palace, man, that place, especially opening night, it absolutely rocks. The building's alive. It's like a Rolling Stones concert. It's in, it's just, it's it's just alive. That's the only thing for I can sure. say. The building's alive. Uh, the atmosphere, yeah. And and when you can tilt the field with big time field position. Okay. And special teams is a tremendous part of that. You can do a lot to help take that crowd out of the game. That's a big deal. It's, It's an emotional lift for your team and an emotional deflation for the stadium and the crowd and the Cowboys. Michael Thomas very much understands how much of a part they can play in this one.
0: Well, I think you could do that also by getting a good defensive player and offensive play, too. I I mean, listen, any positive play is going to be But
1: people are underestimating the value of specials in this game. That's uh, all I'm saying.
0: Well, because mainly the last thing you want to do is have Dallas work with half the field. Because, you know, it doesn't take them that long to, you know, have a few big plays and already they're in the red zone or they're at least in field goal range. So, I mean, to me, field position, special teams is important every single game. And it goes without saying, I don't know necessarily if it takes priority in this game more so than the other opponents that the Giants are going to go up against. Because the last thing you want to do is short in the field. We were talking about takeaways earlier in the program. Takeaway short in the field. That's why they could be such a blessing for your offense if you have an opportunistic defense. But, you know, I'll go back to last year's Cowboys game in Dallas. If you remember, it was Dallas capitalizing with a big play early with yes. Tavon Austin right? Yes. Up the left sideline, there was a miscommunication. Tavon Austin got past Janoris Jenkins. Jenkins
1: thought he was getting help on the play. He didn't
0: get it. Exactly. But that energized the Cowboys sure early. Sure it did. So that goes back to your point. You gotta prevent those big plays, whether it's on offense, defense, or special teams, it makes no difference to me. Last thing you wanna do is give that crowd and that team more energy and vice versa.
5: Awesome. Awesome. P Dot, where are you guys gonna be hanging out at the game? I'll be there at the fifty. I'm gonna try to flag you guys down. Where do you guys station yourself?
1: Well, during Cowboys games down in Dallas, the, the radio booth is is all the way up top and it's in the corner of the end zone. So I yeah, prefer I to I, yeah, uh, I prefer to be on the field. So, okay. so I will be on the field on the Giants' sideline throughout the course of the game.
5: All right, I'll try to flag you guys down. I'm so excited I can't stop beating. Have a good one, guys. You sound All right, like man, appreciate enjoy. Appreciate the phone call.
0: Thanks so much for joining the program. All right, let's head back to the Lions. Let's check in with Len in Maryland. Len, what's happening?
6: How you doing? Hey, hey Len. Len. What do you got for us? Good, 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 good. Um, if we, you know, if we, just a comment on Julian Love, if, if we concentrate Love in the slot position, he's the starter by game eight. You know, put him in the slot where we thought he was going to play and stop fooling around. He I don't think he's got the speed to play safety. He's hey, the Land. starter in week eight if Land, we concentrate Land. him at slot. Don't, All right, here we go. Here's don't, my Yeah, But, Land, Land, hold, hold on, hold on.
1: You're selling Grant <laughs> Haley short. Grant Haley played a quality slot corner last yeah. year. Don't automatically say that love has taken his spot. Give Grant Haley an opportunity to hold down that spot and keep the rookie, you know, behind him on the depth chart. Great, Grant Haley can play now.
6: Okay. Hey, let me give you my prediction. All right. I got Giants thirty to twenty-six. Here are the here are the two keys. Here are the two keys. We got to score on at least half of our possessions, and we got to win in the red zone. We score touchdowns. They kick field goals.
1: We win 30-26. to 26. Okay. okay. Let me, ask you, <laughs> about like let me ask you
6: about the offensive line. A couple of guys. Assuming Remmers plays.
1: He's working okay. today, Len. He's working today. He had an illness yesterday. Oh, good. Sat good. out. Very good. Uh, an open portion okay. of practice today he okay. was working.
6: Okay. Very good. Um, who? Uh, if, we go, if we go jumbo, uh, you know, a three tight end look, who's that – Who's who's the jumbo guy? I think we're gonna. So I think we're gonna need that. We're gonna need that. That you know tackle who, you know playing playing end uh, who you know blocks uh, like a tackle. Is, is it Slade? Here's, well, here, here's
1: the problem. Slade and Gates will be the two reserve offensive linemen active for the game. I okay. don't know that either one of them have experience as the third tight end, we'd have to see them do it before we could say that they were capable of it. Uh, it, it right now, Tomlinson, the tight end yeah, they yeah. signed Eric from the Tomlinson. Jets, yeah. who, by the way, yeah. is like 6'6", he's 260 yeah. pounds. He is yeah. a big dude, and he's got yeah. a big long hair and mustache and beard, and he looks yeah. like an offensive lineman <laughs> facially. He's got that feel. Uh, yeah. I would assume, to be honest with you, I would assume he'd be the third tight end because we know Dickerson doesn't look likely to play.
6: Yeah, well, he. Yeah, I injury. don't think Dickerson's going to dress. I guess I, I, I know Tomlinson and Ellison will be the two at the goal line, but who's the third guy? Well, is it, well, is Ingram it Slade
1: or Gates? Who's well, no? In- Ingram is your other tight end. He, I'm sorry, Ingram. Ingram is your is your starting tight end with Ellison oh, and Tomlinson as two. We're not going to let
6: Evan try to block down near the goal line, are we?
1: Well. Len.
0: <laughs> well, here's the other thing also, by the way. You know, Tomlinson, I'm not saying that he's not going to be active and not play, but he also just joined the team. So I wonder yeah. how much I don't know. he's acclimated yeah, to but what I they think need he can, him to do. I think in goal yeah. line
6: situations oh. or in short yardage situations, of course, Tom, Tomlinson can handle that, and he's supposed to be a pretty good blocker. I'm, I'm just concerned when we, when we do go jumbo whether there's somebody who can do it. And also, interesting, if you think the two sub... Uh, offensive linemen are Gates and Slade. What what happens if something if if Halapio gets nicked up?
1: Who goes oh, to center? well, Pulley Pulley, now, Pulley 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 is Pulley is automatically number six. Okay. I think so Gates gonna, and Slade are so seven gonna, and eight.
6: So you're you're suggesting we will dress three uh, sub offensive linemen? Yes,
1: yes. I think I think Pulley is six, uh, Gates is seven, and Slade is eight.
6: You don't think we can get away with using Pulley as an emergency guard?
1: You and could. saving one of those
6: saving one Pulling of those guard.
1: You could. It's possible. You I could. would roll that out. Again, part of the question may be if they have plans to use one of those other linemen as a right. third tight end. That may right. depend on how many you dress. The other thing you yeah. could do, and I, I'm not I, – I, again – Here's the thing, Glenn. We've seen preseason, and in preseason, you don't know. Because they're not showing yeah, you anything. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, let me, yeah, I'll say yeah, this. From watching you. training camp, you know, they don't work on a lot of goal line stuff in training camp. So yeah, I can't yeah. specifically me, tell let you let what me, I it, saw, yeah, but would on it on surprise you things. if Elijah Pony's um, in the
0: game? No, not at all.
1: Yeah,
6: uh, Stupar, you know, if we don't, are you there? Yeah, the we're, here. we're here, in. Len. Yeah, yeah we're here, we're all ears. If Stupar doesn't dress... He he shouldn't be on the fifty three. I, well, I mean, you got to dress him he or he shouldn't be on the roster.
0: Well, who who are you wanting to replace Nate Stupar right now?
6: Oh, well, I'm not, I'm saying right. it's, we we can have him as one of the one of the guys that doesn't dress, or he shouldn't be on the fifty three. I mean, we're wasting a spot. He's only on there because of his. Uh, you know, he's special, only teams, special teams, special yeah. teams play, okay. which is I a mean, very important part of this team's Stup- plan. Well, I don't know. Well, you may get it forced into it, well, but, but I don't think we want to see Stupar on the field at you know at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so I mean, Stupar should, he should get a uniform when we need, or we should have kept the kid, to, whatever his name was, the kid, the kid from Texas, Tal- Talifa, whatever his name was, I Josiah Towera,
5: Towera,
0: yeah, who's on the practice squad, yeah. Antonio. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
6: yeah, yeah. So I mean, you got I mean, you almost have to. You almost have to dress. Stupar because he's special. Teams well, but player. I'm just a little confused. Why are we so
0: caught up on Stupar? And why are you worried about whether or not he's going to dress or not? I, I, I'm just I'm a little lost as to where this is coming from.
6: Well, I like his I like his special teams play. Okay,
1: but but what, but what I guess my point him, is what makes you I mean, what makes you think hold on, hold he's on, not going to dress Lance, Lance? Hold on, hold on, yeah. Len. Here's the point. Pat Shermer values special teams more than most coaches in this league. Yeah, we've seen that because. They have scratch guys over the past year yeah. because they didn't play good enough on special teams. But it's not just Shermer. It's so, even before Shermer well, was here. Well, was the same way. Yeah, it's Coughlin so, as well. So here's the thing. If they believe that Stupar's value in this game on specials outweighs everything else, he'll dress. If he doesn't, then he doesn't. But I don't think Nate Stupar, dressing or not dressing, is going to sway okay. this from a win to a loss.
6: Okay, all right, good point. Let me ask you one more quick question. Does does Daniel Jones get a uniform on Sunday?
0: Well, he is listed as the backup quarterback on the depth chart. Okay. So,
6: okay. I mean, right. I, I think yeah, so. If he's listed as the backup
0: right. quarterback, I'd find it very hard to believe, Len, that he's not going to get a jersey. Sure. Okay. Yeah.
6: All right. Hey, listen, you guys have fun on Sunday. I can't wait. Let's go Giants. All right, Len. appreciate go the phone Giants. call. Thanks, Len. You got Len. it.
0: Thanks so much for weighing in. I'd never thought that we'd be sitting here debating who's going to get a jersey and who's not going to get a jersey. Before wow. The first well, week of know, season. here's the thing.
1: They got to deactivate Len, Len seven finally guys. Saw by the, the calculations way. to the 53 go by the boards, so yeah. he's worried about the 46 now. <laughs> okay, but but listen, <laughs> it's okay, Len. No, it's fine. And I get it, it's but fine.
0: remember, you've got to deactivate seven guys every single week.
1: You don't get wiggle room around that. Yeah, probably. Okay. So, figure Taddy will be the third quarterback, and then there's six other guys who have to sit. Yeah. That's just the exactly. way it is. But uh, keep in mind this with
0: real quickly with respect to Stupar. Remember, David Mayo was a late addition to the roster, who's also a special teamer. Mm-hmm. So it, it brings up my same point about Tomlinson and some of these guys. How much did they get caught up in a very limited amount of time? The bottom line is if they don't feel Mayo is where they need him to be, then Stupar, to me— takes much more of a priority. Well, would be an automatic. Yeah, because he's a lot more comfortable with the scheme. He was here last year, and he plays special teams. So, you know, that's another thing that I would think would give Stupar a leg up, at least entering week number one. One thing
1: about Tomlinson before we go, even though he's only been here for, for almost a week now or a little bit less, uh, if he's the third tight end and they could use his physicality and his frame and his size in a short-yarded situation, basically they just got to tell him, get a hat on a hat. Yeah, he doesn't have to do a whole lot. It's true.
0: Hey, we just need your big frame and go to work and block the guy. Get in away! 100%. Yeah, one hundred percent. And he's a veteran guy too, so has been around the league It's not as if he's somebody that's only been in the league for a year or two. Let's head back to the lines. We got James in Virginia. James, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening?
7: I, I'm good. How you guys doing? Hi, Hi James. Ready, ready for this game on Sunday? Got a quick question for you. Um, and, and this question is about the. I'm a little worried about the defense, and so. My question for you guys is this: When you see these guys practice from the OTAs and and through training camp, and um, when do you know if Betcher's defense is, is is it good enough? And he just don't have uh, the right players, or, or the players are not that good, or you know what I'm saying? Like, um, how, how do you figure that, which is it? Is it the players? Or is it the defense? Because the team looks overall looks good to me. I'm just worried about the defense. And I know pre, when I watch the preseason games, it's just a vanilla type defense. They're not really you know scheming for the offense. So when he starts scheming for the offense, do you find out from that point where okay, these are not a good defensive. Yeah, you're gonna have, the,
1: you're gonna need a, a body of work you probably won't be able to figure it out until maybe halfway through the season. And then you can start making some judgments. Look, Steve Spagnuolo is a terrific defensive coordinator, and I stand by that. But when Steve did not have a full toy box, in fact, there were a few years here with the Giants where he had half of a toy box, those defenses fared very poorly and ranked very low in the league.
0: Especially when you have a pass rush.
1: And that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, no matter how good the coordinator is— if you don't have enough of tools and enough of toys to play with, it's not, it's not going to turn out very well. And so that goes for everybody. The key is this. Does your coordinator max out what you have available to you on the roster? That's the key to any coach, coordinator or head coach. Do you max out what you have available to you? And in some cases, can you get guys to overachieve and do better than max out? Some guys can do that. And those are your really right. good coaches.
0: Well, I think the thing that's interesting about Betra's defense this year is, to your point, he's also infusing a lot of youth into this defense. So when you say, you know, you want to know whether it's the scheme or the players, I think with any young group of players, there's a learning curve and you have to account for your fair share of ups and downs. So, I mean, we were talking heavily about the secondary and he's relying on a number of corners between Ballantyne, Baker and Love, who probably going to get a lot of playing time this season. You figure they're going to have some ups and downs. As great as Dexter Lawrence is, he's still only a rookie. And he's going to have to adjust to mm-hmm. now team scheming for him. And B.J. Hill is a second-year player. So, you know, with a lot of youth on top of the fact that, you know, you're still trying to figure out what exactly is about Betcher's defense, I think you need to account for both of those factors. Here's
1: what you need to do. if If you look at this Giants' defense in the second half of the season or certainly the final third of the season, and if they're not producing at a higher level than they are in September, then you have to shake your head and say, something's not working out here. Either the guys weren't as good as we thought they were or the system and the scheme isn't getting the most out of them. But this defense should be on the way up as the season yeah. progresses. Yeah, especially with the younger guys
0: because you expect them to start getting more and more Natural comfortable progression. by the latter part of the season, yeah.
7: Yeah, well, I, I definitely I feel that the defense is better. Uh, I mean, it looks better than it did last year. And, um, and so that's all, that was like my main question, just, you know, hopefully that even though he has young players and rookie players, I mean, Ballantyne, Baker, Lawrence, they all look great, and like you said, I know they're going to have their mistakes, but I, I they, they look really good, and I just hope, you know, for Betches uh, that, you know, the players play well enough that you know, it doesn't affect you know, doesn't affect his job or something
0: like that. Well, I mean I, I think yeah. you take it a little too far with respect to that, James. I wouldn't worry about job security and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Remember, this is a relatively new group, whether it be the coaching staff, the general manager, the core nucleus of the team. Their goal is to build it up over the course of time, not necessarily look for you know, a statement or a wow-me moment immediately to define whether or not these people are the right fit. I think, like anything else, first four games into a season, I think you get a better feel for a team on both sides of the football. And then by the time you get to the midway point, I think you should have a good read of what this team is all about. And you hope that for the sake of the young players, that they continue to mature and develop as the season progresses and it constantly is heading in the direction and trending in the direction of up. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? You're
1: last on the show,
0: Charlie. Yeah, not necessarily trending hey, up.
8: Hey, 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 Lance. Hey, uh, Paul, I think it's actually going to be a low-scoring game. Okay. If you look back at the last couple of games that we had, at the first game of the season with the Cowboys – one game was, what, we won 20-19 to in 2016. And when we win that first game against Dallas, we have a good season. We went to the playoffs. I think this game is so important mm-hmm. for us to win. And I think the other game was, like, we lost 19-3. to And I don't think Zeke is the guy that killed us every time we played him. I think it was one time he got over 100 yards. But it's the... We always stopped them on first and second down, and then they threw the ball over the middle to the tight ends, and that killed us every time. So hopefully this year we can stop that. It's not going to be Cooper. It's not going to be the wide receivers. It's not going to be Zeke. It's going to be the tight end. We've got to stop the play over the middle of the field, the easy pass that we can't seem to stop. Hopefully we can do it this year.
0: Yeah, Jason Witten, you're right, on third down. I mean, he's been an absolute killer, specifically against the Giants. Uh, You're talking about he's done more damage against the Giants than any other team within the division. So, yeah, they have to be ready for that. It's going to put a lot of pressure, I think, on the linebackers and the safeties. Jabril Pepper spoke about this early in the week because of Witten's big frame. You know, he tries to take advantage of smaller guys, and he uses his leverage. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers from the game last year in Dallas, and, you know, Dallas didn't put it on an offensive clinic, but to me, a big part of Dallas his victory last year in Dallas was their defense. You know, they did a good job, obviously, putting pressure on Eli Manning and the offensive line. They had six sacks. They took away the Giants' run game. I mean, mm-hmm. Saquon had 11 carries for 28 yards mm-hmm. in Week 2 last year. So, you know, the defense is a big part of the conversation. Everybody's talking about what the Giants' defense has to do to Dallas. Well, what about the fact that, you know, we're talking about how fast and speedy this Dallas defense is, one of the top units last year, how effective they are in just containment doesn't necessarily have to be getting to the quarterbacks, just being responsible, filling the gaps, and making plays.
1: Barkley in the passing yeah, game is going to be a lot more important in this particular game than he was last year.
0: Well, he had 14 <laughs> catches last year for 80 yeah. yards
1: in the opener. But Getting year, vertical. Uh,
8: the second that second game, we had uh, Eric Flowers. Well, no there, doubt the offensive had, line has dramatically changed. Saying? Yeah. Uh, it's a different offensive
0: well, line. Well, but but what I'm saying is Dallas's defense, wait, 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 though,
1: wait. last year. He just praised the offensive line.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I let that go in one no, year and no. out the other. He just praised well, the offensive line. Well, I know he line, did, but all did that. Charlie praised the
1: offensive <laughs> yeah, line. Yeah, but
0: that's also for one <laughs> random day out of the course of the year, okay? Let, let's see that trend continue over the course of weeks. Oh.
6: Yes, the offensive the line thing, has changed, Charlie. Defense, There's no doubt about that. A
8: defense has to be, you know, break but not bend. That's what I think our defense is going to be. We're going to give up yards, we're going to give up, but we're not going to in the red zone. That's when we're going to get tight. That's when we're going to stop them. That's when they're going to get field goals
0: bend, instead but of no, touchdowns. No, no, he, he meant he meant that the defense should break but not bend. It was said beautifully. It flowed right off of his tongue. <laughs> no, that's right. The defense should break. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's that's a no, good philosophy, break, Charlie. Very good bend, philosophy. Whatever. Yeah. You it it should it's... bend but not break. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we understand. Charlie,
1: I will tell you this. I, 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 do, I do mean this because of the lack of experience in the back seven. I do think if the Giants prevent big plays, I, I, I don't see Dallas winning the game because I do believe that when the field gets smaller, then the defense is in a better advantageous position because they don't have as much field to cover and the communication mistakes are less visible. You know, when you've got a 60-, 70-yard chunk of real estate behind you and somebody makes a mistake or somebody bites on a move and all of a sudden it's a 60-yard touchdown pass, that's horrible. I think if the Giants can avoid giving up one of those, I think they're in much better shape to win the game.
8: I think we're going to – my prediction is we're going to get three turnovers. Wow. And we're going to win the game. That's asking uh, a lot.
1: But okay. It's
8: close.
1: All right, Charlie. All
0: okay, right, Charlie. Guys. Thank you. Appreciate the call. There's a lot of things that have changed if you go back to the Dallas meeting last year. The last meeting of the season, remember, Dallas did play the majority of its starters, rested those some guys. Zeke didn't play. But the first game in Dallas, remember the Cowboys didn't have Amari Cooper at that point. Michael Gallup was a rookie. There was no Jason Witten. So that has changed for Dallas in terms of the artillery they're going to fall the artillery they're going to throw out on offense and then with respect to the Giants offensive line has changed they got new defensive personnel you know, a lot of things across the board are very different I think it's fair to say, compared to that first matchup in Dallas last year, back in Week 2, and the Cowboys won that game 20-13. to 13. So that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in. Back up and running again tomorrow at one thirty p.m. Eastern, and the game will be Sunday in Big D to finally kick off the 2019 campaign. It is all presented by Coors Light. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.